0: Today on CityCast Madison. It's hiking and camping season, friends. And have you ever wondered what it takes to make it out in the elements, to rough it with minimal gear? One Madisonian knows a thing or a thousand about that. John Yost has 30 years of wilderness experience He once lived off the grid for over a decade and is a regular finalist for TV survival shows like Alone. He also teaches what he knows to people of all ages. And John has tips on how you can make it in the wild. You ready? It's Tuesday, August 8th. I'm Bianca Martin and here's what Madison's talking about. John, hello.
1: Hey, Bianca.
0: <laughs> so your expertise in survival skills comes from decades of being out in the wilderness, sometimes with just a knife and a cooking pan. What's the most extreme wilderness situation you've ever found yourself in?
1: I love how you say just a knife and a, and a pan, but it was I actually took some string and a blanket with me, too.
0: Okay, well, string is huge.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, people don't realize how important having string is. You have to tie things together all the time. It's good for making traps, all sorts of things. Fish line, if you need to take it apart like paracord. So, yeah, tons of uses for a string. You got to have it. Um, to answer your question, the most extreme place that I've, I've been is probably not really all that extreme, to be honest with you. I have been out in the winter here a few times. I built a debris hut, which is basically just an A-frame. And in that case, this was up in Menominee. And I stayed in there when it was about minus 20 degrees for three days. And uh, you can do these shelters where you're stuffing full of grass and moss and pile on the outside with more grass and leaves and things. And you basically make a big cocoon you can burrow into and stay warm in almost any conditions.
0: So the little, like, kid in me is like very very excited (laughs) because that's like one of the main things i would do growing up was like try to build an igloo (laughs) like try to build
1: you know different structures so that is so cool that you love to do this i think all kids love this i was just at the midwest renewable energy association fair they invited me up to do demonstrations and we had a shelter building thing and you would not believe the kids just loved it.
0: I'm just getting really excited and getting thrown back into those memories and curious, like what got you hooked on this?
1: I think it was just growing up in the country and some idle time. And when my mom was really interested in this kind of stuff, too. And so she would, she had a microscope and a little dissecting scope and we'd go to Verona and we'd go swimming. And she would take the microscope and the dissecting scope and we'd look at the algae and all the bugs in there and stuff like that. It was so interesting. And when we, you know, we lived in the country, there was a stream there. There was a forest about a quarter mile away. So I used to walk up there and just spend all my time with a little strainer or a fishing net or a fishing pole or a knife and go up in the woods and just practice this stuff since I was, I can't even remember, middle school probably.
0: Totally. Yeah. It's just magic, right?
1: You know, it is really cool to be in nature and there's so many interesting things about it. And when you see what's going on there and you really can understand everything, it's just like, it's this incredible movie going on right in front of you that you just would never understand. Well,
0: we want to, you know, glean something from your decades of experience of like queuing into these these little things um, because it's magic. And there are some basic survival tips like making a fire without matches. Is it really rubbing two sticks together? Like what what's the trick?
1: All right. Well, here in the Midwest, it's a little bit difficult to find wood that we can rub, literally rub together. It's really hard. I've tried it with basswood, and with cottonwood roots which are the two best materials that we have here when you spin the two sticks together you can do it with your hands with just a straight stick like a dowel and that you spin into a board and there's a small notch in the board where all the powder that you create all that burning powder concentrates in that notch and then that gets to 650 degrees and it turns into this glowing red ember which you then transfer to a bundle of grass or shredded bark or something very fine and then blow that into flames. Oh my god. You gosh. can literally everybody <laughs> seems to have it on their bucket list to make a fire with sticks. You know, I have some people like try this for two, three years and they haven't been able to get the dang fire. And they come and they do it in 20 minutes. And they're like, oh my gosh, I was doing so many things wrong. And I think that's a really good thing when people can do things they didn't didn't think they could do. That's a great a lesson for life, you know, not just to make a fire. And it's magic. You blow it into, into flames, you know, from two sticks. It's just so cool.
0: What is it about the cottonwood, the, the sticks that work that you mentioned? Is it that they're drier?
1: Well, in this case, they're just not very dense. The softer wood, the better. Uh, there's the best wood that I found in the world. And I've done this in, I don't know, 15 or 20 countries. And it's a kind of a yucca plant. And it's super, super soft, not very dense. And it's almost like balsa wood. And the closest thing that we have to that here is cottonwood roots and basswood.
0: You've been off the grid in 15 different countries?
1: (laughs) Yeah, not always off the grid. Sometimes by accident, yeah. Um, Just because the places (laughs) I want to go happen to be off grid. But yeah, I've been all over the world doing this stuff. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, so if I find myself in an emergency situation somewhere, anywhere, (laughs) Um, and have to hunker down in the middle of a place I don't know. Like what sort of, what first things come to mind in terms of, in terms of thinking about building a shelter? Like what tips might you have?
1: Well, you kind of have to use whatever you've got right there. If you have water around, that's the most important thing. Because if you're building a shelter, you're going to expend a lot of energy. So you want to make sure that you're staying hydrated. So make sure you're near water or you can get water. And then you just have to take a look at what you want. No matter where you are, though, I will say that digging is a really, really good thing to do, especially if you're just doing like a survival type thing, really quick and dirty. Because the ground is is fairly cold and you can dig a hole and you can cover it over with something. Or barring that, you can do the A-frame shelter that we just chatted about earlier. So like if you're in
0: a hot place, it's a good idea to dig a hole to cool off the area where your shelter will be?
1: Yeah, if you can dig a hole.
0: Oh, neat. Yeah,
1: that's, and, but you have to cover it over, right? Sure. Otherwise, it's going to cave in on you, and you're not going to get sun. Up <laughs> there. But anytime you can dig a hole is great. And you can find natural holes or sort of natural holes where trees have fallen over, like where huge pines have fallen over. It's oftentimes near a river, which is nice because you want to be near that water anyway. And then you can build a shelter underneath that fallen log or that fallen tree where the roots were okay it stays a little bit cooler there it's usually in the shade it's pretty nice actually it's a ready-made shelter
0: i'm just thinking about like how often have you found yourself in a situation where you didn't plan on needing to have a shelter and you had to make one or maybe that's you go out there (laughs) and just plan on doing that anyway
1: yeah i just kind of plan on it (laughs) yep yeah And, and honestly a lot of times if you're like where we are in the midwest You don't really have to have something over the top of your head. You know, I mean, we like that because we're used to sleeping that way, but unless there's mosquitoes or bugs, you can just make a mat of grass and sleep on the grass, you know, as long as it doesn't rain and as long as the sun's not beating down on you hard, you're probably going to be okay with a nice little spot to sleep in overnight.
0: Well, you were mentioning water and I want to talk about that. I mean, it makes sense that you'd want to be closest to water water that you can drink civilization that's why you see everyone you know starting <laughs> by water sources but water's not always just ready for you to drink see that you recommend bringing a life straw with you even on a camping trip can you talk about what a, a life straw is
1: well it's it's a filter basically it's a ceramic okay. filter and they make them a, a bunch of different ways that the life straw you could just a filter inside of a straw you have one end in your mouth and you put the other end in the water source and you just suck. And it filters the water as it comes in, which is really, really nice. Um, but there's a bunch of other things that do the same thing. There's that sweet water, which I really like. It's a pump. And then Sawyer Straw makes another one. And they're actually pouches, but it's hard to fill the pouch. So I would recommend a Life Straw or some kind of a pump.
0: Yeah, I've used one of the pumps before. I've also, they're like tablets.
1: Yeah, there's like usually iodine tablets. Yeah, you got to let that sit for a little bit. Those are good, too. They will kill all of the protozoa, amoeba, invertebrates, any kind of bacteria or parasites that'll get rid of, which is what you want.
0: For those of you who are listening and don't believe and just say, oh, I'll just drink from the stream. <laughs> well, there's a lot of other people, or people not people, other creatures <laughs> that live <laughs> in the stream. There's probably like animal dropping. There's any sort of number of uh, hazards in, in the water right
1: yeah absolutely and especially if it's a river where things are flowing from flowing into it if you find a spring-fed lake it's not so bad because the water is going to be from an aquifer but yeah if you've got a lake that gets filled up by runoff or if you have a river it's collecting everything that's been dumped on the side of that river the whole way it's been flowing so yeah there's a lot in there
0: I don't know if I would fall into this category, but I, I don't not fall into this category. Um, people are like really into the Walking Dead or sort of like apocalypse sort of situations where you know if you needed to be prepared to go out in the wilderness, you're ready to go. Would you consider yourself like ready? Like, are you like a prepper? Do you prep?
1: Uh, no, not really. I don't. I don't actually. I don't really know exactly what a prepper it is. Are those people like who get a whole bunch of stuff ready to in case the world's going to end? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> an
0: apocalypse situation. You don't do that.
1: No, man. If you give me a knife and a saw, I'm good. I don't worry about it. <laughs> if the world comes to an end, I just go near water. Hopefully there's no other people unless they're sane. But Morris Kuchanski wrote a couple of books. He's really one of, He just died a couple of years ago, but one of the grandfathers of the outdoor skills and the bushcraft. And Morris said that the more you know, the less you carry. But yeah, if I have a knife, I don't need it to have a bunch of canned food and dehydrated vegetables. I'll be okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that you're not worried about the apocalypse. B, that makes me extra interested in the classes that you teach so I can have such peace of mind. Like one of the things that you teach about uh, um, is edible insects. So the eats <laughs> that are they available eat. out and about. Can you talk about that? Tell us about... Whipping up some tasty meals of edible insects.
1: Of edible insects, sure. Um, well, probably the most popular that we have around here are going to be grasshoppers. And you, okay. And I say that, and everybody's probably, oh my gosh, why did I tune in to the guy? He's telling us to eat grasshoppers. I say, this is crazy, <laughs> Bianca. Where did you find this guy? <laughs>
0: <laughs> in the woods.
1: No. Yeah, in the woods. <laughs> I had a grandmother who came with her her two two granddaughters uh, last summer, and. The grasshoppers were were just starting to come out and we gathered a bunch of raspberries and we made raspberry jelly. and we ate a bunch of edible plants. The milkweed was good at that time. There were some nettles that we had as well and they were catching grasshoppers. And I said, do you want to eat there? They're like, oh, no, no, we're not going to eat those. Oh, that's gross. I said, well, let's just try one. So we, we pulled off their heads because they have a sack of like, um, it's the juice that they spit out at you. We call it tobacco juice because it's brown. But you pull the head off and that sack comes off and you just cook the, the abdomen, the back part of it. You put them in a pan, you just roast them with a little bit of oil if you want, but you don't even have to have the oil. And they're going to turn red like lobsters. And at first they look at them like, we're not going to eat them. We're not going to eat them. And then they're like, course, you know, your kids, they're curious, you're going to try it. So they eventually pick one up and like, oh my God, this is good. So we spent the next two hours finding and eating grasshoppers. They absolutely loved it and thought it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Their grandma was- (laughs) Did they say
0: it tastes like
1: chicken? No, it doesn't. They didn't. I asked them that though, because (laughs) everybody says that all- everything. You don't know what it tastes like. It tastes like chicken. So I've eaten a chocolate grasshopper like a
0: million years ago at an adult swim at the Children's Museum. It was, it was something. It was definitely something. I have to say the pulling off the head and the sack part you just described was, was not as appetizing.
1: But then when you <laughs> said it, it looks like a lobster. And you can eat it with the heads on. It's just that that sack that comes off when you pull the head off is really bitter.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking
1: about crawfish. Let's see. What You want to know some other edibles that we have here for, I do. Yeah, yeah. All right, other ed- insect edibles. Well, these aren't insects, but they're invertebrates. There's you can eat worms. And if you're going to eat worms, I can tell you this from experience, they're not very good one. They're kind of chewy like eating a rubber band with h- tiny little hairs on it. And what I've had to eat them a few times slugs and worms when I'm just getting my trap line set and I haven't caught any animals and I haven't caught any fish and I don't have enough protein so I'll just eat the worms. But if you do eat worms, you this is a great tip because I know everybody's going to want to go eat worms after this. Let them sit for a day or two because then they poop out all of the soil that's in them. Otherwise, if you cook them right away, you eat all the dirt that's inside of them. It's just really crunchy and it's its even a worse texture than the rubber worm.
0: I heard that here first. I have to admit, I haven't heard that one before.
1: <laughs> no, you know, I don't think I've ever seen that one written anyway. I learned that one from experience too. <laughs> that's the thing about most of the stuff I know. I mean, i started out with just a couple of books and then I just started going out and you know I didn't quote quote, unquote know how to do it I just figured out as I went I'm glad you got at least one tip you haven't heard before that's great and they have a ton of protein in them for real and then I think probably the best wild edible for as far as insect go are grubs that you find in either pine trees or oak trees if you peel off the bark of the oaks or you can get into the wood a little bit but mostly between the bark and the wood on a pine tree there's these white Grubs and those are absolutely delicious. You're supposed to cook them, so I would recommend that you cook them. But I've eaten them raw and they just taste like buttery almonds or buttery cashews. They're absolutely delicious and they're fascinating. Yeah, and they're a great source of fat. You don't find a lot of fat sometimes when you're out, so it's really good to eat the grubs in the trees.
0: Okay, and I forgot to cool. ask, do you cook the worms?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely cook okay. the worms. Yeah,
0: okay. Sure. I'm trying to pretend like I'm not gross. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I,
0: I, I but I, 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 comprehend and am not against it. <laughs> I'm just trying to learn. I saw something about tanning fish skins that I have to ask about.
1: Oh, tanning fish skins? Yeah, they're really easy to tan. They're kind of nice. You just flush your fish, and by flesh, you just get all the meat and the fat off the inside of the fish. You scale it, and you just throw it in tannic acid. And we have all sorts of tannic acid sources here. The best one we have is probably acorns and oak leaves. So you throw in some oak leaves. And if you crush them up a little bit, it helps because then it's smaller and makes it into a powder and the tannic acid comes out of the leaves faster. But you put it in with the oak leaves or the acorns and the fish skins for three days to a week. And you take them out and put a little bit of olive oil or bear fat and coon fat. I know everybody has that on their shelf at home, but those are the best is bear fat and coon fat.
0: What do you use the fish skins for?
1: Making wallets actually. And then um, for coverings for your knife handle are kind of nice too. And you could make a piece out of one too. Yeah, they're pretty cool.
0: That sounds awesome. And so I heard a rumor that you auditioned for Naked and Afraid, the reality show.
1: How did that go? They went out and they saw me when I was teaching out West. And they're like, this guy is fun. He's got some personality. He's interesting. And he knows what he's doing. So we want him on the show. So they basically didn't even... You were sought after. Yeah, they they didn't even audition me. They said, do you want to be on the show? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that was, it. you know, it's like we're the casting for the show to you. You know, we, we we could put you on there next week if you want to be on there. But Survivor
0: was more involved.
1: Yeah, it was a lot more involved. Yeah, that was a fun interview. That was an inter- interesting process.
0: Well, what was the most interesting, most interesting thing they had you do?
1: Probably the most interesting thing that I did in that interview was I started a fire in the hotel room with the producer, Mark Burnett, in the room. And I just said, here, guys, I'll show you how to do this. And I started a fire on the coffee table right in front of them. Oh, and there's three of them. <laughs> and Mark Brunetti's just like jumping out of his chair. He's like, get that thing out. And I was like, all right, fine. I put it out with my hands and he's like, this guy's nuts, you know. You're like, well, I could do it. I got it under control. I think that's what messed me up, though, in not getting it. Because I made it down to like the top 19. There was there were 10,000 to start with. And then they cut it down to 500. Then they cut it down to 48. They went to L.A. And this was an L.A. interview. There was only 19 of us left when this one-on-one interview went on. And I went home at the same time as all the other 19 people that got on the show. There were 16 of the 19 and didn't make it. But I think it's because I started the fire because one of their rewards was matches. And another reward they gave him was a harpoon. Well, if you give me a, two sticks, I can make you a fire and a harpoon. They're like, this guy may be too good. So we don't want him on the show. You snuffed out the competition. You were too good. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, John,
0: um, this has been an incredibly fun conversation, and I've already we've already gleaned some of your many skills just from this convo. Thank you for joining us on CityCast Madison, and, and we'll, we'll share a link to information about your courses if, if people want to get survivalist skills.
1: All right. Thank you guys very much.
0: That's John Yost, a Madison-based survivalist skills teacher. We'll toss a link to his website in our show notes if you'd like to try your hand at some adventure. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Addiction treatment. Speaking of saving lives, a critical addiction treatment is often going unprescribed in emergency rooms. Epic Systems researchers studied the health records of ER visits for opioid overdoses across the U.S. Doctors say the med buprenorphine is one of the most effective for reducing withdrawals and cravings, but it's more or less sitting on the shelves. The study also shows an increase in the prescribing rate, but some doctors are saying it's still far below what's needed. And more on surviving. August is Clear the Shelters month at the Dane County Humane Society. This means that they're reducing adoption fees for all animals next week. Do you want to help save a pet? Get a new companion? Check out our show notes for a link. Oh, and by the way, if you want to help some cats but can't take any home yourself, there's an upcoming fundraiser you might want to catch. Next week, a cat circus is coming to the Bartell Theater downtown. Acro cats, yes, acro cats, will balance on balls, ride skateboards, and some will even play some jams. All funds go to the Rock Cats Rescue. We'll toss a link in our show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this episode with that one survivor friend? You know who I'm talking about. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Until then, just remember, you can grow strong, learn how to get along, and you will survive.